You're right. Um, where am I? Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> I want to start off by saying um, one thing I wanted to say about the trip that, that Chris mentioned is, is one of the things about the trip is they're going to the sight and sound uh, presentation. And what's the presentation this? Pardon? Moses. So there's a, a big theater. I've never been there, but I've heard a lot about it. And they actually have this uh, like incredible live performance. And how many of you have ever been to that Sight and Sound? Just a few of you. And uh, so that's going to be part of the trip as well as uh, meeting Amish people. And right, they, they said I'm signed up already, even though I didn't sign up. But she said, you are going. I said, oh. So I guess the wife and I are going. Anyways. Uh, I wanted to say thank you um, from the bottom of my heart and from, from Paula as well for, uh, you know, the card and the gift that you guys gave to us. We didn't, uh, you know, you didn't get to make us all embarrassed and everything, you know, and coming up and saying all these words and stuff like that, but it just didn't work out, but that's okay because I'm embarrassed now. And, uh but thank you so much. You know, the sweet things you wrote on the card, you know, even those, those little few words just like mean so much. And, you know, uh, the cash is good too, but, uh, you know, it, it's the meaningful thing, you know, that you feel, you know, like, you know, you're appreciated and, and I do appreciate that. So uh, can we move on now? Okay, let's do it. Let's open our Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're, we're doing kind of bookends, Thanksgiving in the beginning, Patrick did last week, and I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving this week, kind of uh, uh, hit it from both ends. Patrick, he had a great message last week, you know, he's already mentioned it, to be joyful always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. And, and in that passage, Paul uh, the apostle, he links joy and prayer with this thankfulness and kind of how they kind of like work together. They go together, the joy and, and prayer and thankfulness. They kind of all kind of uh, working together. And so, so it says there in that passage that that's, that's God's will. We sometimes say, what's God's will for me? This is God's will that we would uh, always, without ceasing, all, this is a kind of continuous thing that would be taking place. That's what God wants for us. And, and uh, it's not an easy thing. And he said it a, quite a few times. You know, we need God's Holy Spirit to work in us, to, to give us these things which are really uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. So today we're going to kind of continue on that thought. And, and let's look at uh, uh, chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. Actually, I have it on the screen here for you, but I, I wanted you to turn there because we're going to read some other verses. But he says they're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in, uh, with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks. There's that, that concept again, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This idea of always giving thanks. And here, 
In this passage, it's linked with music. It's, th- it's linked with song. It's, it's, it's linked with the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs. And, it, and it, they kind of go together. And there's this idea of thankfulness and, and worship and music. But let's back up for a minute and look at the context because there's some things I think that, that kind of bring us to this place. Let's start in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5. He's, he has a number of things, a number of points he brings out before he gets to that. He says in verse 15, he said, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity or redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Some of the things he talks about, he says, be careful how you live and and, and pay attention to how you live. And then this is all, again, leading up to this idea of speaking to one another and being thankful and always giving thanks Making the most of every opportunity. Redeeming the time that we have in this life. Why? Because the days are evil. We live in a very evil time. And, and uh, of course, it's, you know, there's been evil in the world you know, since the fall of man back in Genesis chapter 3. But, but you know, he, he wants us to, to make the most of every opportunity. I, I read uh, uh, yesterday... Uh, about uh, somebody who wrote back in 1630, and he was talking about life. And it, it made me think about this idea of using the time wisely. And he said that our lives were like a candle. He uses two illustrations. One, that our life was like a candle, that you light the candle, right? And then, what is it? It burns slowly down, it gets used up, and then finally what? It goes out. The other... Uh, illustration he used was like an hourglass and we don't use them much we have them maybe for decorative purposes we don't use them but an hourglass is the thing you know with with sand in in it and you turn it over and the and the sand runs from the one side to the other side and he said that you know our, our lives are just like an hourglass you know there's only so many grains of sand in there and once you turn it over and get started you can't stop it right it, it, it gets only, but, but eventually what happens? It runs out and time is up. And I, it made me really think about life, our lives, my life. You know, there, it, it's only going to be so long. You know, my candle is only so big. Maybe there are other people that have gigantic candles. You know, you go to these, you know, Yankee candle shop and they have these gigantic candles and they're going to burn, burn, burn. But, but each of us... We're different. We don't know. So it's the idea of every one of those little grains that falls through there is, is like part of, of, of our time. And how are we using that? He says, make the most of it. He says, the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. We already saw, Patrick said uh, in First Thessalonians, God's will is that we, we would be joyful and prayerful and thankful followers of Jesus says, don't waste your time, you know, getting, you know, uh, drunk on the things of this world. But he says, be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. I want to stop there for a second because Patrick talked about, you know, the tenses and the moods and the voices and all these things about the, uh, 
the the Greek words, and and he he talked about that. And and uh, by the way, I didn't just go pick on him afterwards. I said, I said to him, I'm surprised that it wasn't a command. And then we went back and looked at it, and it was a command. And he goes, Oh no, I got to fix that. <laughs> and so, but that particular word. Uh, that he talked about, actually all three of those words were, were in the imperative. It's like a command. This is what you must do, and, and the Word of God is telling us that we must do. Now this particular uh, verb for uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's present, and, and I hope this isn't too technical, but it, I'm trying to keep it simple. Present, passive, imperative. Okay? Now the present means now. The passive means that someone else is doing the action, right? So who fills us with the Holy Spirit? We don't fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit, but God fills us with His Holy Spirit. But the imperative means that it's something we need. It's absolutely essential. So right now, so you and I, we, we have to go to him and say, Lord, fill me afresh. Fill me anew with the Holy Spirit. Because as uh, Gail Irwin used to say, you know, we get filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's a problem. We leak. And so we need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. And, and that is so true. We need, we need the power of God working our lives. And so that is kind of what's leading us into these verses, verses 19 and 20. The, the, the necessity of having the Holy Spirit fill us, having God fill us anew afresh with his Holy Spirit, because we need it in this life to, to fulfill the commands that he has for us. We can't do it on our own. Jesus said, apart from me, what? How much can you do? Nothing. Zip, nada. Zero. So moving now into to verses 19 and 20. The first thing he says there is, is uh, speaking to one another. Speak to one another. And he goes on to say, you know, how and, and, and the, the psalms and the hymns and, and uh, spiritual songs. But he says, speak to one another. And, and, and so we're, this idea of, of speaking. Now let me stop for a second and tell you about this word. And, and, and also all the other verbs in these two verses. These are... Present, active, and participle. Now, some of you English people are going to know what participle is. I asked some people in the back, and they go, know what? Who can tell me? What's the biggest characteristic of a, of a participle? Three letters. I-N-G, right? Okay, now you know. I-N-G. So, so present means it's now... Active means that I am doing the action. Passive means someone else is doing the action. Active means I'm doing the action. And, and, and the participle means ing. It's ongoing. So you and I, these things we're talking about there. The first thing is he, he says we're speaking to one another. We're speaking to each other. This is something that we should be and God wants us to do. It's, it reminds me of our, our, our verse back in in 2 John, where he said, you know, for us to be face to face. And literally, it means what? Mouth to mouth. 
Stoma to stoma. And, and it's this idea that, you know, what comes out of your mouth, speaking to one another. There, there, there needs to be communication between us. That's important. Speaking to one another. Now, you know, I, I think that, that God wants to do some very important things and, and uh, as we're speaking to one another. But it's interesting, you know, here in this particular verse, he, he gives us some definition. He says, how do we do that? How do we speak to each other? And he says here in this verse, how do we do it? We do it with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? He's talking about music. He's talking about, you know, the the universal language of music. There's something powerful about music. That's why we have a time of music. That's why we, we, you know, we believe in in that. But but notice here in in this particular verse, he's saying that uh, it's a horizontal thing. But in the last part of the verse, it's also vertical, right? He says, sing and, and make music in your heart to the Lord. So we're speaking to one another through this music, but we're also speaking to God. There's something, and I've seen it through the years, through many years, that, that, that something about music has, has a kind of a power. It's, it's very powerful. And I, I've seen people just come in and just start weeping. And nobody has said anything. But, but, but the music and the songs and the words and whatever, and, and I, think, I think it's the Holy Spirit as well working in their lives. And, 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 and I don't think it's because they think it's so bad they're weeping. Uh, I think it's just because the Holy Spirit is doing something in their lives and it's softening their hearts. So something about it, you know, it's speaking to one another and, and at the same time reaching up to God. It's, it's incredible, you know, if you just think about that for a second. Now, he, he speaks here about three different types of music, and, and, and some have kind of put those categories and, you know, defined each category and, and that. But, but I, think, I think mainly it's variety. It speaks of variety. There's not only one type. You know, well, you know, here in, in, in our church, all we do is sing hymns. And we don't we won't sing anything else but hymns or here in this church. All we sing are psalms and there are some churches. That's all they sing are psalms. Right. Or this other church will always sing is the spiritual songs and, and that. But, you know, God is a God of, of creative variety, I believe. When you look at creation, I mean, the variety is just like incredible. You look at how he's created and, and you look around this room and there are no two people that look alike in here. I can see it. Really, I can. It's God's creative genius, really, is what it is. Now, these categories, and, and, and I'll just tell you, some have, have kind of explained these three, and I'll, and I'll throw them out there. But again, I, I think variety is the key word. The, the, the Psalms are, are, are again, uh, songs that come directly from the Psalms. And... and and uh, I love the Psalms, and I think the Psalms are, you, you could say that, you know, they were the songbook of Israel, right? 
And so for us to use the Psalms and, and many, many songs that we sing uh, or that others sing are directly out of the Psalms and, and they're beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. But he also talks about hymns here. And, and of course, they didn't, you know, back when Paul was writing this, they didn't have like, you know, the hymnals that we have today or the hymn books or whatever. But, but it was more of a song that maybe wasn't, you know, directly out of the Old Testament psalm, but it was a, something that a, a Christian or a believer had composed and written. And then the spiritual song is, is kind of like every other kind of composition that dealt with spiritual matters. I think it's kind of cool. We're not locked into any one thing. Sometimes they say, well, I really like those kind of songs. But you know what? If you always did just those kind of songs, what about all the other kinds of songs? What about, you know, uh, the fact that we all need and we come in and we have different kinds of issues and, and situations going on in our lives and maybe, maybe a hymn is going to hit the spot or, or, or something that somebody wrote about their struggles and trials or, or maybe something directly from the psalm. You don't know what God is going to use. Some songs... Uh, and I, I think about this a lot. Some songs are directly to God. Oh God, I worship you. I love you. I, you know, I adore you and, and I give my life to you. I surrender all to you kind of thing. But, but some of them are about God and that's okay too because we need to know about him and that helps us to worship him because the more we know about him, the more we I think, give our hearts and, and lives and surrender to him. I, I, again, I, I think about these things a lot. And, and you know, before you know, we choose songs and uh, you know, to, to learn them, you know, it, just because a song kind of has a really cool beat or, or a you know, catchy rhythm, a catchy uh, melody, I meant to say, it doesn't mean it's a good song. You, you have to ask the question, is it biblical? Is it true? There are a lot of songs that I hear that go like, okay, that's a great song, but like that's, you know, what? What, what is it about? And who is it, you know, it's, it's more like pointing to man than pointing to God. And, and uh, sometimes I'll change words in songs because to make it clear, I think they need to be enjoyable. There's some songs I just don't enjoy. Uh, and I have to say this about hymns. Okay, I know, I know uh, many of you were raised on hymns. You know, uh, I never, I grew up in, in church and, and uh, we didn't sing many hymns. So I, I wasn't kind of raised that way. We went to do ministry, our first ministry uh, my wife and I, when we were in Bible school, uh, our ministry, our ongoing ministry, which is part of the program, we went to a retirement home and we, we went there to do like a Bible study and a little meeting. But there was an old gal there and there was a piano in the room and she, she, she just could play any hymn. And so that's where I learned some hymns. Now, I have to say, some of, the, some of the music for some of the hymns is, is hard for me. I mean, I grew up with the Beatles and, you know, like current, you know, pop music and that kind of thing. And it's hard for me. 
But that's not to negate the, the beauty that's there and the, the doctrine and the theology that's there. Some of, the, some of our modern worship songs have no theology at all. Theology is the study of God. There's nothing about it. It's just like, hoo-hoo, yeah, let's go, huh? Singing, he says, and making music. So it's important. I, I, I'm working on a song uh, from Psalm 40, and it says, sing to the Lord a new song. And you have to think about that. And, and I'm going like, what? Like, and I looked up the word new. Where did I look it up, Bruce? Okay. Zeke beat you. Um, <laughs> and it says new. It says like fresh. New of this year. Something that, that's like hasn't been heard yet. And I'm thinking, wow, because, you know, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. And like you can have a lot of different songs and they, and they use a lot of the same themes. And I see, you know, current music, the, the, the kinds of, it's like they focus in on a theme and, and a lot of songs are similar. But again, it's this creative idea about, about something going on, making a new. And, and, and it's this present active participle again now. And that I am actually doing something. And it's new. It's fresh. If we sang the same songs every week, you'd go like, man, I don't care how good we sang them. Can we sing something new? You you would say that to me, right? You would say that to Chris. Chris, you know, I can't keep singing that same song every week. You know what I'm saying? So there's something about being fresh and new and and alive. He says, singing and making music, singing and making melody. You know, when you read the Bible and we get to read the end of the story, we get to the end of the book and, and we find out in heaven, guess what's there? Guess what there's lots of? Lots of singing there. Yeah, a lot of singing there in heaven. And so you and I, in a sense, we're, we're getting ready for that with the music that we have here. It's, it's not nearly as good, obviously, in, in no way, shape, or form. But Revelation chapter 5, it says they sang a new song to the Lamb and says, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. A lot of singing going on in heaven. I hear people say this, you know, but I can't sing. Does that matter? You know, my, my daughter, she loves to sing, but you know what? My other daughter who isn't here, she barely can carry a melody. i tell you what. And she knows it, but it doesn't stop her from singing. But as someone already, you know, pointed out in my notes here, it's a matter of what? It's a matter of the heart. It's really about where our hearts are at, really. That's where it's all about. It's, it's the, the song in our hearts, the music in our hearts. It's not how well I do it. 
It's what, where it's coming from. There are a lot of really, really, you know, talented singers, but, but if their heart's not in the right place, what, what good is it, right? God sees the heart. David Guzik said this variety suggests that God delights in creative, spontaneous worship. The most important place for us to have a melody unto God is in our heart. He said many who can't sing a beautiful melody with the voice can have beautiful melodies in their heart. I think that's true. Now, it doesn't mean we have to all, you know, sing off key and everything. It, you know, uh, there, there's a verse, I think it's in the Psalms, you know, to, to play with skillful hands. So it's important that we work at it, you know. Well, I don't have to work at it because it only matters what's in my heart. So I'm not going to practice. I'm not going to learn. I'm not going to. No, no, not, not that. But Jesus talked about our hearts. He says, you know, what is in our hearts comes out of our mouths. Right? Didn't he say that? And, and the Proverbs say, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Everything comes out of your heart. It's important. Man, I'm running out of time already. We have communion this morning. I'm only on page three. I've already said it, though. We're we're singing, we're making music in our hearts to the Lord. That's where, it's, that's where it should be directed. It's not to impress you, impress someone else. It's, it's to the Lord. And he's the one who's listening. And then he goes on to say, they're always giving thanks to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God. Again, this present active participle, it's something I do now, it's something that I, that I do, it's something that is an ongoing thing, that I'm giving thanks to him. Now he links the, the music and the songs with thanksgiving, and, and, I, and I, you kind of think about that, you know, is, is the music uh, and the songs lead to the thanksgiving? It kind of, that's the order in this verse, but isn't it also true? Thanksgiving also leads to the music and the songs. But they kind of like are, are, are working together and, and, you know, the thankfulness in our hearts and, and what God has done and, and as it comes out. Even in things that we don't understand. Now, uh, Patrick talked uh, last week and he, he talked about the verse. He says, you know, uh, to give thanks in well, all circumstances, right? And he said, and, and, I, and I agree with him, he says... It doesn't mean that we necessarily give thanks for all things, right? But we give thanks in all things. Now, I came to this verse, and I'm looking at it, and I'm reading it, and I says, but this says, always giving thanks for all things, right? So what's going on here? Do I give thanks for that terrible, horrible thing that happened? Now, the, the word that's used for here, and you can look this up later, Larry. Okay. okay. The word that's used for here is the word hyper. H-Y-P-E-R in English, transliterated. Right? Hyper. Now, it can be translated in many, many cases. It is translated as for. But, 
But when you look at the, the Strong's Dictionary and the Thayer, who is a, a Greek scholar, uh, they translate it, the first meaning is over and above and beyond. Stay with me. When you think about someone who's hyperactive, they're above normal, right? Their activity level is above normal. When you think of someone who has hypertension, their blood pressure is above normal. It's over where it should be. Someone who's hypersensitive, their sensitivity level is like way over. That's the word that's used here. Check, you, can, you can check this out, and I, and I hope that you do. So when you think about what he's saying here, if you, if you use the word in that context, and I'm not trying to get all fancy and tricky here, but, but, but again, thinking about you know, the previous verse that uh, Patrick looked at in here, that we're always giving thanks above all things or beyond all things we're giving thanks. It's, it, it's a, it's, how do we do that? It's this looking to God and, and, and God's perspective up above all the circumstances and the things that have happened, the things that are happening. In a sense, I, I think that's the only way that we will be able to be thankful for all things is having the perspective of God, that God is over all things. Let me just give you a couple examples where this word is used that way. That same very word, uh, you know, God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He will not let you be tempted, what? Beyond or above what you can bear. Jesus said it. He used the word. He said a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. So, you know, there, there is this sense that that uh, we, our perspective uh, has to be tied in with, with God's perspective. In Colossians chapter 3, it says this. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There's something about setting our hearts and our minds on the things above. Uh, what, what I honestly find in, in my own experience, though, is that I am underneath all of these circumstances. And they are weighing me down, pushing me down. And, 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 but, but if I can get my mind and my heart above these things, mm-hmm. thankfulness can be there. Joy can be there. Peace can be there. Isaiah 26.3 says, you know, uh, says, you know, uh, where is it? As we keep our minds fixed on him, we'll have perfect peace. As we keep our minds fixed on him, as we trust in him, it says we'll have perfect peace. We'll have peace, peace is literally what it is. That's, that's different, isn't it? I'm not trying to be all, uh, you know, psychobabble here. Because you can get all psychobabble. And I, and I read a bunch of stuff and you can kind of, well, well, that's all crazy. But, but, 
But that's this whole concept of looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, fixing our eyes on him, because that's where the perspective, the true perspective, that's the only way you and I will ever be able to be thankful for all things and in all things. It's true. I know it. You know, when I'm like completely weighed down, I'm just like smashed down for, you know, with, with, with the things that are going on and, and what I feel and what I think and what I know. And, and, and when God opens up my, my heart and my mind to, to see it from a different perspective, it's like the weight is gone. It's like lifted. Any of you ever experienced that? Seeing it from his perspective. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, uh, he said, every hour, yea, every moment has brought a favor upon its wings. Look downward and give thanks for you are saved from hell. Look on the right hand and give thanks for you are enriched with gracious gifts. Look on the left hand and give thanks for you are shielded from deadly ills. Look above you and give thanks for heaven awaits you. There's so much to be thankful for if we're looking in the right way and, and we're seeing it from, from God's perspective, not from our own perspective, our own thoughts. We're not leaning on our own understanding, but we're trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts. This is the way. The last point I want to make is, as we uh, kind of transition here to communion, is that it says there to give thanks uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Giving thanks always in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and when you do something in someone's name, that means it includes everything about them. When you look at the life of Jesus and you think about Jesus, he gave thanks a lot. Now, he didn't need to. I mean, why would he? But, but he, he was just like he was giving thanks. A couple of examples at the feeding of the 5,000, right? They took the little bit that they had. What did he do? He, 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 he looked, he gave thanks and he broke it and he passed out and, and like miraculous things happened. He gave thanks and, and incredible things happened. It happened at the feeding of the 4,000. It happened at the feeding of the 5,000. At the raising of Lazarus, right? Uh, it says, he told them, you know, take away the stone. They said, no, we don't want to take away the stone. It's going to smell really bad. It says at, at, the, at that point, they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Father, I thank you. He looked up. Again, it's this idea of perspective. He looked up and he said, thank you. I thank you that you actually heard me. But the, the last one here is, is at the Last Supper, right? Matthew 26, let me quote it. He says, while they were eating... Jesus took bread, and what did he do? He gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and he gave thanks again, and he offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, you know, he, he took the bread, he took the cup, he gave thanks, but he knew exactly what it meant. He knew what that entailed. 
It, it, it was the giving of his body. It was the, the brutal treatment that he was going to receive. It was the, the crucifixion. His body and his blood poured out. He knew what that meant, but yet he gave thanks. You see, because he had the perspective of God. He, he had already kind of wrestled with this, by the way, back in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He says, Lord, if, Father, if there's any other way to, to kind of make this happen, but not my will, but yours be done. In the end, he, there was no other way. And so now he's giving thanks, right? And, 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 and. Actually, I'm not sure if the Garden of Gethsemane, I, I spoke out of turn. I want to come back and fix that next week. If that's after or before, I'll look it up later. But he gave thanks because he, he knew everything that it entailed. Because he had it, the perspective from the Father that this was the way for eternal life for people on this planet, on this earth. He knew what would come of it. Again, for you and I to be able to give thanks in different situations unless we know what God is going to do unless we see his perspective or unless we just flat out trust him, we're not going to be thankful. No way. Not possible. In our, in our verse in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, always giving thanks, giving thanks always, uh, the, the word, the Greek word there is eucharisteo. And it means to be grateful, means to be thankful. But, but most of you have heard that word before, right? Eucharist, you've heard that word? Mm-hmm. And what's it referring to? Mm-hmm. Communion. The Eucharist, the communion, the body and the blood, the blood of Jesus, the Eucharist. And, and it came to be connected to the to communion. And, and that's why, you know, we're giving thanks. And as we partake together today, that's the main thing. That's the focus, not, you know, uh, all the bad things I did or, or, or anything else is just thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Paul called it the cup of thanksgiving. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift and what that gift is, Jesus, his son. We're going to pray We're going to pass out the the bread and the cup and we're going to partake together and just to stop and say, thanks be to God for his indescribable, his unspeakable gift. It's like you can't even say enough about it. Let's let's pray first and then we'll pass out the the elements. Father in heaven, we come before you today. it's an awful lot in these, in these verses, a lot, a lot to look at, a lot to think about. But, but in the end, we, we have to point to you. We have to submit to you and surrender to you and, and give you the thanks for all that you have done. All that you are doing and all that, we, that, that you will do. All that you're going to do. But most of all, Lord, we want to thank you for Jesus. Because without him, we have no hope. We have no life. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. We have no light. But Jesus, knowing that that he was going to go to the cross for us, he, he gave thanks. Because he knew that 
many would believe, many would trust in what he did and, and have eternal life. And he was thankful for that. So, Lord, today we're thankful for that, too. Thank you, Jesus. Just say it in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go ahead and pass out the bread and the cup, please. We have some people doing that. Eucharisteo, to be grateful, to be thankful, to express gratitude. The cup of thanksgiving. You know, Jesus... I read this morning, it just happened to be my, my chapter for this morning in John chapter 6. Big long chapter, very long chapter, but <clears throat> Jesus talked about his body and his blood. It says in verse 51, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. He said, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? It was like, it was like wow, what, what is that? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Kind of Kind of radical things for him to say, right? You need to eat my body and, and drink of my blood. But earlier in that chapter, he said this. He said, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. So, so it's not the physical, you know, he, he wasn't saying you got to, you know, get a part of my body. And eat it. He's saying, you need to believe in me. It's what I did on the cross. My giving of my flesh and and the shedding of my blood. That's the only way. You have to do it. It's the only way. It's the only hope to have. The interesting thing is, later on in in the chapter of uh, uh, 6 of John, it says that many, they turned back and they no longer followed him. When he said those words, when he talked about that, that you had to partake of, of the body and the blood of Jesus. 
It says they stopped following him. They didn't follow him anymore. They'd been, you know, going along with the crowd and everything else. But when Jesus said, you got to get really serious about this, and it's about the cross. It's about what I'm about to do and, and, and give my life for you. That's where your hope is found. Jesus turns to his disciples, right? He says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And by the way, that verse talking about the disciples turning back is John 6. Six, six. But Jesus said, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Peter answered incredible words. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else are you going to go? These people that turned back and stopped following with Jesus, I don't know where they went. Because there was no answers out there. The answer was right there in front of them, and they went somewhere else. I don't know where they went. But Peter had it right. Peter, you know, we know he stuck his foot in his mouth most of the time. But, but these words here, he says, we believe and we know that you are the one, the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life. You're the only hope that we have. Jesus is the only hope that we have. And, and for us as believers, we celebrate this. And, and, and as, we, as we do, we simply say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Let's all stand.